Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book that recently came out during Public Domain Day, January 1st, which is yesterday. Uh, by by this time yesterday, Litheads, uh, in your calendar. Uh, and to help me are two We're time travelers from the past. And um, to help me, of course, navigate this challenging situation involving calendars and Public Domain Day. Two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Very nice. Happy Public Domain Day, Nick. Happy Public Domain Day, Ian. Happy Public Domain Day, Lit Heads. For those of you that like to read but don't like paying for your books, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Public Domain might be the thing for you. There's also like other ways, but but um, if you are looking Stealing. for the best General Public Domain theft. book to come, say, yeah, you, you can just take it. Pilfering, um, larceny. The Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, I believe this is his last batch of Sherlock Holmes stuff that's going to get public domain. Um, and I read his <laughs> final adventure ever published, The Adventure of Shoescomb Old Place. I like public domain. Is that a... <laughs> yeah, you got public domain. Like you got canceled or something. Yeah. Like public domain. You got public domain. Do you no longer receive royalties? You've been <laughs> yeah, public domain. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was Anyone looking... And you do whatever they want with your work. <laughs> <laughs> before before we were recording, I was clicking around the estate, the, the website for the estate of Arthur Conan Doyle. And they list like a board of directors and like they talk about the roles of all these people and they have these dramatic photographs taken in like these fancy London buildings and I thought, are all of these people going to be out of a job, like as of public domain day? Like, like, like once this happens, does no more money go to the Sherlock Holmes estate? I think they'll be fine. Uh, <clears throat> Tallyo, Nick, oh, Pip, Pip, Cheerio, Joe, and happy public domain day to all the U.S. litids. Litids in other countries aren't covered by U.S. copyright laws and may not yet be in the public public domain. Today, I brought one of the last two Sherlock Holmes stories to enter the public domain. The Adventure of the Viled Lodger. Are you the Viled Lodger today, Ian? Viled. Viled. Like vile? Like Like a small container of liquid? Like, yeah, vile. The lodger was put into a vial. (laughs) Oh, no. Like a genie. Like the genie at the end of Aladdin. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs> Did you guys know that... The word vile can also be like there is a separate. Word, I don't know anything the about word. the word vile, so just you can just jump in. Here we it, go. Probably. Here we go. So, like a slightly older form of this word is spelled with a ph at the beginning. File. P h i a l, and a file is the same as a vile, but and the sound ph and v are kind of similar, but they're separate mm-hmm. words, but they're kind of the same word. Uh huh. Like yeah. it, you could spell it pedophile. <laughs> Like, Are you saying it's there. interchangeable? <laughs> I, I understand like, it. Like, oh, yes. that, that pedophile is a real vile. Like that. You could make a whole fun sentence out of that. That pedophile is real file. <laughs> no, no. I think at this point you're actively, actively misunderstanding me on purpose. And right. let me say, if the goal is to needle me, it is working. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week you or we pick a theme. A theme is picked. And Nick, who picked this theme? Uh, mm. I did. Yeah. Because it's Litheads. National Public Domain Day or some something. And then I think we covered most of this. And so these are, I did look if there were any better books, Litheads, this year. None. So uh, maybe we'll do this every year <laughs> and do some history, but there's like one or two that's good. Yeah, this is um, as good as it gets is sure, the last two shitty Sherlock Holmes books. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, 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 Joe and I, let me just take you behind the scenes a little bit, Litheads. Joe and I looked at the document where we keep all of our themes and such, and somebody had put a really cool theme description with like the names of the stories and links to wikipedia articles about copyright disputes and i was like wow this is really organized who could it be clearly not nick who could it be Uh, joe is this you and it wasn't joe it was nick nick 
Nick came up with this extremely cohesive theme all by himself. Let's give him a round of applause. Oh my goodness, a standing ovation. No, it's, I'm sitting. Leadheads, do not listen to his lies. I'm sitting. Yeah, so anyway, there's uh, there's uh, some winner or something, but we have some show rules here. Gentlemen, only unavoidable spoilers. I don't want to know if Sherlock gets away with it again uh, or doesn't. <laughs> that sneaky rap scallion. And uh, rule number two, less words, oh, Joe. Ma- needless words, Joe. Thank and you. rule number three, only winning matters. Do you guys think who's going to win? I feel like uh, these are both uh, losers. I like this idea. We've, we've broached the possibility of um, betting on or encouraging Litheads to bet on the winners. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and call call that I'm going to lose this week just because I feel like I feel like um, I brought a really weird story. So. See, and I'm going to stop Ian's double psychology. What do you call it? Reverse, Reverse psychology. But we could call yes. it double no, today. Let's call, <laughs> I'm going to stop Ian's double psychology in its tracks because, of course, Nick doesn't want what we want. I am going to say that I am going to lose this week because. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. The show's fully in both of your heads. <laughs> Okay, why don't you go first and tell me what uh, your book is about? Give, give me the give me the back cover. Absolutely, Nick. Over 125 years after his creation, Sherlock Holmes remains the most popular fictional detective in history, and this is his final published story. It has everything you hope a Sherlock Holmes story has: racehorses, disguises, a mummy, a small dog, charred human remains in a furnace, cross-dressing, and many, many mysterious circumstances. And it has a good deal of deduction. It is a return to Sherlock's roots. It was published in 1927, and it was pretty good. Is yours the last one or second to last one? Mine is the final Sherlock story. Final one. Yeah, Joe, mine was published in January of 1927. Joe, when was yours published? February of 1927. No, no. You, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He just made yeah, that no, up. I think, I, to be honest with you, it came out in, in America. It came out, I want to say, in April of 1927. Yeah, don't oh, believe that at all. <laughs> okay, I don't. Well, or, or June, you know, after January for sure. Uh, Litheads, I do think, though, most things he says are true. So, yeah, it's just yeah, the direct think, questions that I think really throw him. Well, you can kind of hear the evasion <laughs> in his tone. And he's like, well, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is, you know, I, I have been accused of being a bad liar in my life. Um, <laughs> right. like, like it's been something people have said my entire life. It's like, they're like, Joe, the second you start making stuff up, everybody knows. Yeah. So, so I don't fun to play those games. Game game here. It was after January, probably. Yeah. Hey guys, probably after January, <laughs> after January. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell me what your book is about? Yeah, this is all true. Toward the end of his career writing Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle leaned away from the mystery solving and more into penny dreadful terrain. This week, I brought one of the latter. Sure, there's a mysterious death, and sure, Holmes figures it out, kinda. But the real draw to this story is the question, what if a pretty lady had a really gross face, like all mangled up and such? Right. This week, I brought <laughs> The Adventure of the Veiled Lodger. Bum, bum, bum. Are there a lot of moments in both of your books where you could insert a bum, bum, bum? Like, in your head? There's not a lot of moments in my book. Yeah, it- mine do. Mine do. Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay, well, definitely. Ian, since you have more bum, bum, bums, I think we're going to let you go first today. Thank Little you. drummer boy. Before I start, I just want to ask you guys, like we have a lot of these detectives who prance around doing detection. Um, Detecting. Yeah, detecting. Like, are there any criminals that detect? Like who are who are serialized the same way? Like, oh, who will Sherlock? Like, what Mm. will Sherlock get up to this time? And like Sherlock is always solving the crime. Uh, like are a there bad any, dude like, who's, who's fictional, like, uh, the fictional hero? criminals who we follow with the same kind of laser focus as we follow, like a Holmes or a Father Brown or a Benoit Blanc or someone like that? Miss Marple. Uh, who's Benoit Blanc? <laughs> this is the guy from uh, Glass Onion and Knives Out. Uh, you had is... that one guy um, voiced by Steve Carell with the Minions. He's the bad guy, and he's they oh, made a lot of Gru? movies about him. Mm-hmm. Gru, yep, Gru, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Gru. So there's one example. 
There is, I can't remember his name, is it but Gru? in English literature, it's, it's Gru. Gru. I He's the remember one with his the name minions, and I was really famous hard. <laughs> British villain. Uh, no, in, in British in British literature, there's this um trope, maybe trope of the week, where Wait, there's like you don't get to you, you don't get you don't get to choose it's the not, trope it's of the not week. Really up to you. Uh there's this idea of like the gentleman highwayman, like the gentleman robber, right? So like you get into the neighborhood of like maybe Robin Hood would be the most famous example. Oh, but that's is, a good one. Oh, there's another one. His name. Yeah, but Robin Hood is barely, a, he's barely a criminal yeah, because like that's the, the stories work so hard to humanize and moralize him. Like he's robbing from the rich. But you can't, to give to you the can't poor. have a fully evil. You can't go fully evil. Okay. You no, can't, you no, can't just no. be like, hey, yep, I killed a baby this week. Join me next week. Or I'm going to fucking push an old woman into a bus <laughs> in front of a bus. You just, that yeah. would, nobody would watch that. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to be a real sicko to be like, this guy doesn't have any redeeming qualities. He's just criminal. <laughs> can't wait for the next one. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's hey, true. did you well, see okay. last week on Dr. Evil? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is um this is useful thank you um so i wanted to talk bef- before i got to my story i thought i would introduce public domain a little bit um oh, just to kind of somebody has to clear the air on that mm-hmm. one a little bit okay um so public domain day is weirdly a legal holiday this is a day the the, the first of every year there will um, be no vacations so <laughs> it's not is not just new year's day but it's also the day when copyrights in the U.S. expire. So the period up until now has been 95 years. Anything that is 95 years old is on on the next on the, the first day of the 96th year. It becomes um, it becomes uh, available for Stick, people um, with anyone sticky to use. fingers. Yeah, yeah pe- anyone people, can use yeah. the IP. No need to license corporate no executives. To get rights. You can just do yeah. whatever you, whatever you want with it. Um, if it's published, and up till now it's been anything published before 1927 is available. It is in the public domain. Got it. Now, something weird happened, and I, I couldn't quite find an answer to this without going into, like, legal... Legal uh, eagle. Long case law about stuff that I found boring. Right. And it, hey, hey, if we, wanted to, if we wanted to read long case law, we would have been lawyers. This is exactly, like, and we're not. Yeah. None of us no, are lawyers. Not even rules lawyers. After this year, public domain day changes... And it's not just anything that's 95 plus years old. As I understand it, from, like this is the last year, 2023 is the last year for stuff before 1927. From now on, it's author's death plus 70. So oh, things enter really? the public domain on the, on the first, yes, mm-hmm. but 70 years after the death of the author. So right. um, for example, this week's Hobbit fact Tolkien died in 20, in 1973, um, so that means 70 plus. His 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 stuff, his legendarium, will be public domain in 2043. In Canada, though, and in I think Australia, New Zealand, it's public domain at the end of this year, at the end of 2023. Really? Yes. Because Canada has different laws. Canada has a 50 year term as opposed to a 70 year term. Now the the the, the fly in this ointment it, ointment is various rights holders can trademark elements of the universe, and those trademarks will stay. Those trademarks will stay with the rights holders even after twenty forty three. So basically, when something starts making a lot of money, things get trademarked, and even after twenty forty three, you might not be able to say Frodo without paying the Tolkien estate 50 bucks or something. Right. So, so maybe, you know, similarian or whatever is public domain at this point, but I own hobbits and you better not talk about hobbits with like that. Kind of. Yes. I think so. Isn't there a bunch of like uh, hoorah as well about these corporations basically hiring teams of lawyers and finding holes in copyright extensions. So basically like they're, they're basically saying, well, Mickey mouse, you know, he appeared a thousand years ago um, in some hieroglyphics. But since we have shown him at the uh, Disney park, which is a different format, a different like medium, Mm -hmm. it now extends the public domain, like, you know, wolves and there's no issue there or something like that. The rights, the rights are to the character and the characters. And this is for the same reason we, we see kind of, we see this a lot in the superhero genre of film where suspicion has been 
certain crappy superhero films are sort of rushed out so that rights can be retained. Oh, yeah. like what? You Do push, you have an example? You push a, um, I, I, as I recall, there was talk about this happening with some of the X-Men movies mm. and um, especially with oh, Fantastic Four. Fantastic. There was a really sure. bad Fantastic Four. And a lot of people thought that the reason part of the reason that got made was not because people said, oh, let's, you know, <laughs> this is a good idea. <laughs> resurrect this great team of dudes and one lady. No, they were like, we need the, the terms of our agreement to own the IP or to lease it really uh, so required that we have to keep producing stuff every nine years and we're coming up on year eight. So if we don't want these rights oh, to it's lapse that quick, yeah. like, well, it is fast years? because when you sell these, when you sell these rights, especially nowadays, intellectual property is a big thing. Now it, it didn't yeah. used to be such a big thing, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's well, whole, the, Sher the Sherlock Holmes estate itself ran into this. These stories are now in the public domain. We've seen Sherlock Holmes utilized by mega companies for quite a while at this point, right? Uh, Sherlock Holmes is the number one depicted fictional human being of all time. There's like 200. Are you serious? Really? Number, number one depicted fictional human being. I'm putting an asterisk by it because Dracula beats him out, right? Like Dracula just beats him out. Wow. But. We've had this. I thought you were like going to say um, um, Gilgamesh from the Epic of Gilgamesh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Wow. Um, we, but like we have Robert Downey Jr., Great Sherlock name. Holmes. We have Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> we have Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock Holmes, etc. So at a certain point, the the Sherlock Holmes estate sued to stop the liberal usage of yep. Sherlock Holmes, and they argued, "Hey, hey, 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 hey." We still have so. like we still have short stories. We still have books that we own the copyright to that we own the rights to those books and short stories are essential for rounding out the character of Sherlock Holmes. So you guys can't portray the character of Sherlock Holmes because like you don't have the whole thing yet, right? Like you don't have access to all of it yet. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah, wow, it's interesting. Wow, what a bunch of uh, bullshit. Keep going. Yep, this is yeah, fascinating. Hey, you could be on the court because that's exactly what the court said. Yeah, they the court like, did not like it. They're like, no, um, no, no. His He's character arc hasn't peaked yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Well, actually, <laughs> uh, I think I think if you if you wanted to make that argument and like there's there is a story where Sherlock Holmes, like the only story where he does meth. Um, oh, yeah. critical. To and the you story. want to depict him doing meth. But that story isn't, isn't in the public domain. That argument holds water. But the right. character kind of as a whole is is well established. It's like if there was a book about Hitler from ages one to like 25, he'd be like, hey, this <laughs> seems like a nice guy. <laughs> like a fine dude. Um, have worked but those on last bar. critical chapters. <laughs> I want to say one more, add one more wrinkle to this public domain thing before we actually talk about my story. And nice. That is going back to the Tolkien thing. When materials written by the author who has died are published after the author's death. If those are published as being co-written by the author and someone else, then that new someone else, the co-author, resets the clock to their death. No. So, so a, there was a savvy lock. writer. Oh, a token savvy estate. writer. Token estate. At the, at, yeah, like, like George R. His, R. Like, Martin grandchildren. as he, like, Yes, like he's going to co-write it with his six-month-old great-grandchild. Great great yes, this is amazing. Well, so the concern with Tolkien was um, Christopher, Christopher Tolkien is, yeah, one of Tolkien's kind of uh, the guardians of his estate, um, both both literally and kind of um, in terms of like the the, the legend legendarium. He's taking care to keep it legit. And there was concern, like, is Christopher... Claiming himself as a co-author, in which case we got to wait till Christopher dies, and then seventy plus that. But Christopher, ethically, ethically for him, not so great for his dad's copyright. Represented himself as an editor, and so his editorial work is under copyright, but the oh, material man. which was edited is not. He's just moving periods, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, but he's he's moving it. He's moving it not to benefit himself. He's moving it not to benefit. So. So if he had claimed co-authorship, it would have ended up being um, extended, but it's not. Yeah. Okay. That's all I have to say about public, public domain. It's actually, I think it's super interesting. Ian, this is borderline not interesting anymore. We better move on. Yep. Let's move on.
my book, I, I don't really want to tell you what happens much in my book because it's, you know, spoilers and it's a mystery. I bet it's very plotty. It's very plotty. Oh, As yeah. a mystery story, this story is kind of weird. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. But the structure is, I believe the technical term for this structure is um, whack. Okay. All right. <laughs> It's, it's, um, Ian has a whole section in his writing class called Whacklet. 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 <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I kind of want to do that now. Um, the story begins pretty normally. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories have a formula that they follow, and, and this one hits the formula at the beginning. Holmes is visited by a client. This client is a landlady in this case, and she has a tenant. A tenant is strange. The tenant has a face, which is gross. And the tenant really <laughs> wants weird. to see Holmes. And but the tenant isn't going to come. The landlady has to come. And the tenant says, if Mr. Holmes won't won't kind of come and join me, say the phrase abus parva. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> abus. Parva. Wait, what? Don't Wait, say Nick, that. Nick hated it. I mean, I'm saying somebody comes to your front door and is like mm-hmm. t- telling you to say some funky Latin. Yeah. No, you just got to close that you door. You ask them to leave. Yeah. You well, just close that okay. door. It's okay. It's okay because one of the things we know about Holmes is he knows everything. He has books. He has the internet in a pile of books, basically. Um, he remembers <laughs> gonna need it. where everything is. This is part of the, the Holmes um, the Holmes canon. He has big books where he copies and like he pastes newspaper clippings about everything. So he knows that this is this is the a place name for a spot where a murder happened like 10, 15 years ago. Um, the Abbas Parva murder. There was a lion in a circus and he killed the ringmaster and he bit up the ringmaster's wife's face. So Holmes is like, okay, cool. This person knows something about the Abbas, Abbas Parva situation. And he goes along with the landlady, meets the tenant, and she tells Holmes the whole story. Uh, she tells what really happened at Abbas Parva. She says, here's why my face is so gross. Um, <laughs> but the the weird thing. <laughs> was it like, did it heal or was it like actively gross? <laughs> like, was it weeping? Were there open wounds on it? No, no, there's no open wounds. It's, it's like, it's like a, a, a scar tissue and so forth. Okay. Um, Thank goodness. But the, the, the story is really whack. I say, because right. oftentimes, you, you know, Holmes word, yeah. gets the. Holmes gets the the client and then he goes and does some detecting and does some deducing and finds a clue or two and then sits Watson down and says, okay, chucklehead, here's what happened. This story is not that. This story is Holmes gets a client. Holmes kind of tells the backstory of this murder and then he goes to see the client and the client is like, okay, so here's what actually happened. The client tells like the whole, like the whole story. unpacks the whole mystery and Holmes all Holmes does is just kind of sit there and says like why yes I did imagine that part of the story to be a little bit strange the detail is confusing to me so he's not the the hero the the immediate hero obviously Joe you know what's about to happen he's gonna flip it he's gonna be like actually actually I am the hero I'm I'm Sherlock Holmes (laughs) no no like seriously was the book old lady tells a story about being right no it's Sherlock Holmes bitch Seriously, the story is the story is like he goes to see her and she's like, here's what happened to me. Here's why my face is like this. Here's what happened at Abbas Parva. Now I think I'd like to end my own life. And Holmes is like, don't do that, please. And that's the story. That's, wow. That's that story it. sounds in. I, I try to be supportive of all the weird books that you bring to this show. That story sounds not very good. Like that well, story sounds like it lacks a lot of the things that you make look, stories. You write 800 Sherlock Holmes books. And you, <laughs> you, do you know how many twists well, this poor, poor dead man had to come up with? This is what Ian, I'm sorry though. I will not be misled. Is there a twist in the end? Is, is there a twist? There's of course there is, there is, is no, there is no twist. Like I, I am, that is am the twist. I'm this is the twist. This is the twist that usually Holmes Holmes listens to the person tell their story and then Holmes is like, yes, but I know that you were walking in red clay the night before and that's yeah. why the smudge <laughs> on the gloves. so red. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> Holmes, Holmes slips it. And in this story, right. it's just like, nah, man, this, like, this is a bad situation and it, it's a real bummer for her. The end. Does she, does she end her own life? Well, who knows? Tricky to say. Probably, um, I'm assuming uh, you know, though, right? You did read it. Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. I yeah, do. Ian, I do. Ian I do. knows. That's not. I, I'm not going to spoil that part. Um, it's a really cool story. It's a page turner for sure. I read this so fast, but it's yeah. not your conventional Sherlock Holmes stuff. And I think this is interesting because Nick, you mentioned like he writes a whole bunch of these. This was 
story number 55 out of the 56 Holmes stories he wrote. And definitely in towards the end of his career, he turns toward, I mean, I, I use the phrase penny dreadfuls, more grotesque stuff, less detecting, more adventuring. Um, he's got a story that's like basically science fiction in this last mm-hmm. book. It's called The Adventure of the Creeping Man. Um, he plays with um, kind of other, other uh, forms of storytelling. He's got one where Holmes narrates it, which is a real trip. It's not Watson who's yeah, narrating very it's Holmes. Weird. Wait, does Watson narrate them all? Is that a thing? Yes. Always. Yes. These are Always. all, hello, it's me, Watson. I'm a chucklehead, an idiot. Mm-hmm. Here's my brilliant friend, Holmes. Yeah. Even like in like the Benedict, the, the one I'm most familiar with is like the Benedict Cumberbatch ones. And like, even <laughs> there, I feel like John books. Watson is it, it, like, I feel like he's, Central. Like, I feel like John Watson is yep. your point of view it's character your point of view. through yep. everything. Yep. Even in, like, the original ones? Yeah. Like, the early right. on? Yeah. He so was there, there from were, day one, huh? were, Like, the, the one. very first stories are like, hello, it's me, Watson. I had this wound from being a colonist in England, in India, and I'm back, and I'm meeting this guy named Sherlock Holmes. And, and he uh, is an asshole. <laughs> Do you guys <laughs> know this? Joe, did you? <laughs> Sorry, this is a side note, but it's super, super interesting, interesting to me. Um, Joe, did you run across any anything about the Sherlock game? No, okay. which is which is tricky because I was trying to put together a game for this episode and I Googled the phrase the Sherlock oh, <laughs> and came up with nothing. <laughs> well, um, I, I might be getting the name slightly wrong. Basically, the idea is um, these stories are presented. All the Sherlock Holmes stories are presented as being part of like a shared continuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Let's just say Arthur Conan Doyle didn't have a spreadsheet with character names or world building details. So sure. sometimes, sometimes um, Watson's wife is named Mary and sometimes <laughs> Watson's wife is named Bazinga and sometimes Watson's wife is named Belsifer. So like there are, there are continuity issues and the Sherlock game is Sherlock Holmes fans and scholars trying to fit all of the like timeline issues characters fit it all into this unified narrative uh, it's hilarious and it's um it's incredible but but i mean it's done tongue-in-cheek it's like oh well how can we make this all make sense it's not like well he knew what he was doing all along and let's just try to figure out his master plan no, it's, a, it's I think it's a real death of the author situation. It's like, yeah, no, everyone knows that he wasn't paying attention. Like nobody sure. believes okay, yeah. that Conan Doyle was trying oh, that's to. That's great. But but they're like, hey, we have these stories, so let's try and make them con- coherent and let's, consistent, yeah. which is really cool. Um, the last the last thing I want to talk about is um uh kind of the the end, the twilight of Holmes. Is as, he as a, a wiser? So, is he a wiser older man? No, he does not change at all. <laughs> like there's the one I told you about where he's um he narrates it. Um the the it's one where somebody gets stung to death by a jellyfish. That story, he's an old man who is a beekeeper. There's another story called His Last Bow, where Holmes is like act actively old, and there's a spy for Kaiser Wilhelm. It's set in World War One, and Holmes is like sparring with a spy but most of most of the home stories take place in this kind of nowhere time so conan doyle started writing Holmes in the late 1880s and he kept writing all the way into the 1920s and mostly conan doyle keeps Holmes in the same time period kind of that late victorian london early edwardian london he starts writing Holmes as contemporary, like, hey, here's a person in our time. And by the time he's done writing Holmes, it's almost 40 years later and it's nostalgia. So the, the closest example I could, or the comparison I could come up with is like, imagine if Stranger Things had begun as a 1980s series. Okay. If all the 80s stuff in Stranger Things were- Those kids are going to be old and moments. depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, and with, with, with film, with, with live action television, you can't do this. But um, if, if, if a show starts off as like reflective of its moment and then stays on the air, The Simpsons does this. The Simpsons mm-hmm. kind of represents an early 1990s attitude towards homeownership where <laughs> this single... <laughs> I think that was one of the bigger themes of the show. Yes, homeownership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, but everyone point everyone points out like, yes, Homer is the only one earning an in- income, and yet 
like they have a they have a good they have a fine a fine it, house a fine yeah, life. couple of cars, a very different fine time. house yeah mm-hmm. right so um this kind of reflecting on this weirdness how conan Doyle keeps writing sherlock in this same nostalgic it's gradually becoming more and more nostalgic led me to do some research on things that existed when conan doyle wrote this story and so love it this isn't a game we should do more of this, this is a top this is a top mm-hmm. nine list top, top nine, nine things that you would not expect that existed before this story came out so we're talking about like that overlap thing are you guys ready right so to be clear this is his 1927 story the one that you've yep. read what yep. existed when he read the, yep. when he wrote this story love it yep I'm number ready. nine weather reports on tv <laughs> yeah amazing really good yep number eight not not film like not talking film but film scores the first mm-hmm. scored film came out in 1926 no talkies yet <sighs> number seven the harlem globe trotters really <laughs> wow number that six, joke has not gotten old <laughs> it's true though they were formed a couple of years before number six scuba gear for scuba diving <laughs> hey what does scuba five, stand for joe uh, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Unbelievable. I think it stands for, I think it stands for self-contained universal basic and come. No, <laughs> that's wrong. Thank you though for you playing. have an income. Well, I've got an income. Oh, <laughs> uh, number five, Winnie the Pooh predates, uh, the wow. story. Uh, number four was a surprise to me. The word queer meaning gay. Okay. Wow. And now, and Number making three, that also available for public domain. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Any of these things. Any hey, of if these. If you want to yes. do Harlem Globetrotters TV show, it's all Rip it, baby. Scuba TV um, show. Number three, liquid fueled rockets. <laughs> Number two. Wow, those Germans. Yeah. It was actually an American Robert Hitler when he was 26. Yes. Number two, Velveeta cheese. Oh, God. I wonder. Do you think it was real cheese back then? Yeah, it was. (laughs) It was not what you're eating. Number one, number one with a bullet, Sir Christopher Lee, who played Saruman and Count Dooku. Wow. Wait, Christopher, Sir Christopher Lee existed. Yeah, he was. Sir Christopher Lee, who is now unfortunately passed away, rest in power, he was five years old when this story came out. So Amazing. I guess the the thing that the thing to me is like Joe, you said the word the phrase 125 years ago. Holmes feels like very of a very different time, but the truth is, like um, I have grandparents who were born in the 1930s. Like the overlap is not that far. Ian, can you start this teaser out with a nice juicy Hobbit fact? Off the dome. Off the dome, no pressure. Sure. We have not prepared oh, anything, sure. Litheads, so this could be total trash. Litheads. <laughs> in the in the in the book, The Two Towers. Oh, make it nerdy. There's a Litheads in the two towers. Um nerdy. As we all know, at the Battle of Helm's Deep, Gandalf comes Ooh. back and brings some soldiers <laughs> with him. Oh, baby. And in the film version, it makes a lot of sense that he brings Aylmer with him because Aylmer is kind of like played by Carl Urban and then a major figure. But the book actually has a, a separate um, uh, heroic character named Urken Brand of Westfold. Jesus now, Urken Brand of Westfold is a big, so tall dirty. guy who is really, really skilled at warfare. And uh, he just shows up here at this moment in the text and then is never heard from again. This points to um, Tolkien's racism against people from the West. Mm. Wait, is that true? Everything until the racism part. Is oh, true. okay. Because yeah. I thought the racism like part was true. Ian should name his next son Erkenbrand. Ian, I should. If you have another child, you should name it Erkenbrand. Erkenbrand is is you heard it here first, folks. The other the other weird thing I should say these for next week when we talk about the two towers as a cop out. Right. Um, the other weird thing is that I'm reading the Rohan section right now, and everyone is described as super, super, super tall, like so yeah. tall they're Weirdly like the tall. dutch of middle earth yeah the, right the humble dutch the humble Not dutch the humble. <laughs> joe yes the last one <sighs> all right nick i feel like i have a lot of um responsibility here because i brought the last sherlock Holmes story ever written mm-hmm. you're closing February. the book you're february the book of, of 1927 yeah, this is the, this is the close of the book on Sherlock, and I 
Ian talked about how his Sherlock Holmes book is in some ways not like other Sherlock Holmes. Is that accurate, Ian? Like the, how he deviates in some ways? Yes. One of the most common things, and I'm, I'm not a Sherlock Holmes scholar, but one of the most common things that I see here that, that I see when reading about this book is that for his very final story, it's very much a return to form right. for Sherlock Holmes. You have so he's to, like, right? let's go back. Let's give the fans what they want. Let's go back to the beginning. Let me actually try one more time. <laughs> one more time. Let me one let me capture that time. original original magic that actually everybody loves. Let me go back to it. Is mm-hmm. it his swan song, Joe? It's his swan song. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's his swan song. That's cool. Um, you know where that phrase comes from? Not swan thing. I'm assuming I did a bunch swans. Of one time. Well, mm, yes, I assume swan. swans when they die they scream. <laughs> Yes, that's why we we use the swan song to refer to a last work which is disturbing and unsettling. No, the the myth the myth is that swans when they die sing their sweetest. If you if, if you've ever met a swan, swans are um swans are the grizzly bears of the bird world. Swans are the worst. Swans will attack you. Swans are they don't sing, they sail. And they hiss and they try and attack you. That's what swans are. They kind of like geese. So where the idea came from that that they swans do seem like sing. big fancy geese. They're fancy swans geese. seem like big fancy yeah. geese. Let's go with that. But angry, like they're somehow swans are less. Uh, they're they're worse citizens than geese are. Well, geese right. are really more angry. beautiful, worse citizens. I feel like you know how you always have like goose stuffed like blankets and goose stuffed pillows and goose stuffed parkas. Right. I feel yeah. like there should be swan stuffed parkas. I think there are. I think that doesn't really? you can stuff any with a parka you can stuff a parka with anything. <laughs> <laughs> um Arthur Conan Doyle's actual swan song. This he had kind of a romantic death. He was walking through his uh through in 1930, so a few years after he published this book, he was walking through a, a garden with his wife and he collapsed and as he collapsed he grabbed a flower in his hand and the last thing he said before he died to was to his wife and he said you are ah! wonderful <laughs> no he said you are wonderful which is pretty nice now was he talking to his wife or to the flower unclear unclear in every anecdote i read <laughs> Okay, Nick, I've got a bunch of Arthur Conan Doyle stuff. I've got a little bit of Sherlock Holmes stuff, and then I've got some for my book. Can I share a story? And heads, if you're yeah, in a relationship or you just have a good friend, sometime today, take them by the hand. Clutch a flower. What does it say? <laughs> I was uh, in the kitchen last night, and I could hear screams from the other room of my wife oh, no. putting our two-year-old daughter to bed. And all I could hear screams of was, tickle my back, tickle my back. <laughs> and I thought those that would, would be, be a good final word. the best final words possible. <laughs> Just tickle like clawing. Okay, Nick. Sorry, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know him. You love him. He wrote a whole bunch of Sherlock Holmes stuff and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Um, he was a writer. Obviously, he was also a doctor. Yep. (laughs) He was also a doctor. He was not, by all accounts, a very good or successful doctor. Okay. Um, When he himself graduated, well, when he graduated from medical school, he published a cartoon of himself graduating from medical school with a caption that said, License to kill. Okay. Well, this was pre Twitter. Yep, this is pre-Twitter and also pre-James Bond by quite a bit. Oh, um, he was speaking of copyright. He was um, licensed as an optometrist after after he got his medical degree. He kicked around for a little while. He like was a ship's doctor for a little while. He was licensed as an optometrist, like an eye doctor. But he wrote in his autobiography, "quote that not a single patient ever crossed his threshold." And it seems like he maybe meant it literally. Like I set up office and I had zero patients. Which didn't seem to bother him very much because he just 
he wrote a lot. Like he used all that time that he wasn't seeing patients to write books and short stories, yeah. etc. Well, I'm not going to be a good doctor. I might as well be a good author. <laughs> yeah, might as well. And he wrote a bunch. Um, he wrote fifty, as Ian has said, he wrote fifty-six short stories just in the Sherlock Holmes canon. There's also four Sherlock Holmes novels, and then he wrote a bunch of other novels. Um, stuff about like natural history. He wrote novels about like uh, historical novels, historical fiction. Um. Yeah, he wrote a whole bunch. Um, he's knighted, as we know. I do think it's important, you know, now people are knighted for services rendered to the crown. Right. Now. I mean, we're, we're all, we, the three of us are angling for a knighthood, I think. We it's are. fair to say. Absolutely. So we are trying to uh, render the crown services. You get knighted for services rendered to the crown. Today, that basically means, have you done something that reflects well on on England, on Britain. Like, have you done something that reflects well on England? So we get like Sir Elton John, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir, right, whatever, Dame Judy Dench. Hitler. When he was knighted, it was not so, like your services to the crown needed to be a little bit more direct. So even though he was a wildly popular uh, Sherlock Holmes writer, a wildly popular writer, he didn't get knighted for any of the fiction that he wrote. Instead, somewhere along the way, he wrote a book that justified England's actions in the Boer War, oh, which wow. was essentially like a what? war that was in South Africa fighting over like gold. Like it was just a straight up colonialist act. And hey, he you're, wrote a book. Uh, your timeless fiction is trash, but the propaganda that's the good stuff, baby. Ooh. That's the services to the crown. Congratulations, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, and when you say it like that, it does make it sound like it is totally just propaganda. <laughs> yeah. do, you think, um, do you think that they call him sir because that's the first phrase of service? No, I don't think You, that. you think are that, the no. English teacher, dude. That's true. I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> confidently gotta, this yeah. is where it comes from. Did you guys know that the reason they call them sir is because they it's a shortened form of servant of the crown? That's, that's amazing. And I believe you because you're amazing. an English teacher. Very good. <laughs> He wrote a bunch of Sherlock Holmes stuff. It's what he was most popular for. He got a little tired of Sherlock Holmes after a while. Right. It was like the thing that made him most famous, but he got a little tired of writing Sherlock Holmes. At a certain point, he actually killed Sherlock Holmes off, right? There's a there's a book in which Sherlock Holmes dies. Yep. Sherlock Holmes dies. He's like, look, I'm not writing it anymore. And people were furious. Like he published <laughs> these very frequently serially he published them in magazines and people like unsubscribed from the magazine and mass. They're like, this is ridiculous. We want Sherlock Holmes. And he kept Sherlock Holmes killed off for something like 10 years where he wrote about everything from natural science to historical fiction to um, spiritual. I don't know how to say this. It's not really spirituality. Because it's spiritualism, spiritualism. Thank you. Arthur Conan Doyle was a card carrying chest thumping spiritualist. And what I mean by that is he was super into seances, telepathy, fairies, psychic phenomena, and mind reading. He thought these things were super true. And that one of the, his jobs on this planet oh, was boy. to use his God gift, God given gift of writing to bring the truth to the people. So there's like a ten year um, well, this took a turn of his writing where he writes <laughs> books about like this is what fairies are and this is why you should believe in fairies and fairies are awesome and they have been photographed. Holy cow! This is yeah, there great. was a whole there was a whole what year Joe, was, was it was at he, this point, Joe? This is like the late eighteen hundreds, like before the sixties, before the counterculture, before like hippies and Ouija boards and stuff, astral projection. There was a previous wave of spiritualism. Oh man, did where, he have crystals, Joe? Oh, I bet he had okay. crystals. <laughs> if he was alive today, they, his pockets would be full of crystals. He wouldn't be able to get through airport security. Ian, I assume. Ian, crystals, sorry, keep going. Oh, just that. Just that this is like there it was it was in vogue and like big fancy people were all like hundred percent on board like going in a dark room and you hear the knocking and if if there are three knocks that means it's your great grandmother Bertha telling you where the jewels are hid like it just extremely serious about this stuff um, 
and, and and not much like they were skeptics, but it was widespread. It was very common. Yeah. Got it. So, so the, it, he was he, not the only crazy one. <laughs> no, he wasn't the only crazy one. He was like he was pretty on like he he was representative of a larger movement. He was he was a vocal what? representative of it. Um, these okay, okay. these it, it, he published a book called The Coming of the Fairies, which is maybe the most famous example of his. Um, he published it in 1922, so five years before this short story came out. He was friends in life, talking about skeptics and believers. He was friends in life with Harry Houdini. And I don't know how much you know about Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini, um, at one point, he's a bit of a local legend where I'm from. At one point, he lived in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, he denied that he lived here until the day that he died. However, we have a museum. <laughs> like we? many from Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. Um, Harry Houdini is a famous skeptic. Right. Like Harry Houdini would famously go to like the shows of seers and psychics and mediums and demonstrate how they were pulling off the tricks that they were pulling off. Harry Houdini and Arthur Conan Doyle became friends at a certain point. Arthur Conan Doyle believed with all of his heart that Harry Houdini had supernatural powers, like actual supernatural powers, even though Harry Houdini explained many times to his friend, <laughs> quote, that it was all a trick. They had a falling out when Arthur Conan Doyle brought Harry Houdini to a seance and they produced a letter written from Harry Houdini's dead mother, right? They gave Harry Houdini a, a letter and they're like, hey, we talked to your mom. This is the letter that she wrote you. Here you go. That's a, it's a bold move to spring on your friend, right? That's well, like, it's a bold move to spring on your friend. I know how I'll friend. get him. I'm going to go for his mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> your, his dead mother. Harry Houdini got furious when the letter was written entirely in English. Harry Houdini's mother never spoke a word Hilarious. of it. She was Hungarian, yes. That's awesome. And so that was a deal breaker for him. And uh, Yeah, they, it actually, uh, dis it dissolved their friendship. Uh, they had a tremendous falling out after that. Other, other Arthur Conan Doyle, he solved a couple of actual crimes. Like he, once he got famous for his Sherlock Holmes stuff, he was brought on as a consultant from time to time. And at one point he solved an actual uh, crime and stopped a man from being in prison for life were people like bringing him cases well like like the the impression that you get when you read about this is like the police came to him and they're like hey we've got this thing we thought this you might have some insight do you think it's like this was it copycat cases of like stuff he was doing or it was just like nope a toaster fell in the <laughs> the hair dryer fell Joe, in the uh, Joe, you brought the you brought the book with the beast must die a couple weeks ago yeah. where yep. the the right mystery the writer premise is kind of like involved yeah. in, yeah, like this is, and I mocked it then and I mm -hmm. still mock it as a trope, but I guess there, like there is this, there is some precedent for it. There are stupid yeah. police no. officers. Out yeah, there. it's, it's wonderful, right? Yeah. So he has like actually solved crimes in his, you know, put that on the resume. The only, the only other thing I'll say, this is the last fun fact I found. And then I want to talk a little bit about my book um, is he wrote the initial for Sherlock Holmes novel. And he wrote it as a novel and it was a flop. Like he wrote it in three weeks. It was something he was trying out. They ran a few copies of it. It didn't really sell. It was a bit of a flop. I was the lady in Scarlet. While at a dinner party, he was convinced to publish another Sherlock Holmes novel serially from an editor from this magazine. Okay. Uh, and he did. And that it kind of launched his Sherlock Holmes as a thing. It kind of launched his career. The fun fact here is at that dinner party was Oscar Wilde, who was mm. also convinced to publish a novel serially, and he produced the only novel he had ever written called The Picture of Dorian Gray. So both these guys were at a, were at a dinner party. They both talked to a convincing magazine editor, and because of that convincing magazine editor, we have essentially Sherlock Holmes as we know it today and The Picture of Dorian Gray, which is a pretty productive dinner party. Book on our first episode. Go ahead and listen yeah. to that, uh, Lidheads. It's probably doesn't age very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we knew. I was doing the whole thing in like this French accent. It just it was very strange. Right, right. Joe, what is your book about? Please tell us. Yeah, so I have an actual book to talk about That's today, good. not Thank just you. Arthur Conan Doyle stuff. Okay. Sherlock Holmes is called on the case. This is not presented as his final case ever or anything like that. It's not pr presented as him coming out of retirement. It's just a straight up Sherlock Holmes yeah. book. We're not going to get into he the self-doubt. Nope. Nope. He receives a letter. He receives a letter from the 
head trainer at a local racetrack. And the letter basically says like, hey, some things have been really weird around here and I want you to come in and investigate. (laughs) And when Sherlock Holmes pushes back and says like, investigate what? Uh, The head trainer isn't super sure, but he has a list of- You gotta come to find out. (laughs) Yeah, he has a list of incongruities, which which he has put together here. Uh, Okay. Is it more complicated than that in the book or is it that lazy? <laughs> no, no, no. Like literally like it starts out There's with a Sherlock weird Holmes. Weird things so- happening. Yeah. Okay. So it's more complicated than that okay. when we get into the details. But it starts out with Sherlock Holmes, you know, just at the tail end of solving another case. This is a common trope that you see in Sherlock Holmes um, introductions. He's, He's a busy man. Microscope. He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. He's received this letter. He meets this person. Uh, And this person, uh, this head trainer, comes to have a meeting with Sherlock and John Watson, and he successfully piques Sherlock's interest. These are some of the details of the crime, Nick. This is the premise of my book. That'd be great. There's a local racetrack and a local uh, horse training facility owned by a very fancy, wealthy woman and her 'er ne'er-do-well brother. Great word. That very fancy, wealthy woman has recently stopped her habit of greeting her favorite horse every day. They have, they, they have like a secret. Very oh suspicious. Oh my goodness. They have a Call secret. Call the police. Yep. They have a secret <laughs> amazing horse. They think it's going to win the derby, right? Like, But it's a secret that it's going to win the derby. And, uh, like, and just to be clear, really seen it. They're, they're Brits, so they would pronounce it Darby? The, yes, it's going to win the derby. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm, thank you. But- she usually stops by and gives it a sugar cube every day. But recently, she stopped giving it a sugar cube. And instead, she just rides by in her carriage. She's probably three dogs in a trench coat. <laughs> her ne'er-do-well brother has recently become, quote, wild-eyed. That is suspicious, <laughs> though. If You know what I mean? Like, hmm See, so yeah, her ne'er-do-well no, brother I has don't. recently become wild. But yeah, she stops, stops. Visiting her favorite horse? Yeah, I mean, come on. Do you know? How, do you know how weird horse people are? <laughs> uh, horse people are <laughs> no, super weird. Let's go ahead and all of horse people today. Uh, I just person, think, yes, yeah. look, at, from an outside point of view, not knowing anything about the horse world, the horse lifestyle. Objective, yes. An objective outside perspective is that I think horse people like horses more than people. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. So I do, I do think that is up there with some of the most suspicious behavior I've ever heard of. Mm. Are you implying that horse people are some sort of horse aliens? Part horse is what I'm getting skins? at. Yeah. Part horse. They're centaurs. <laughs> Secret centaurs. Secret centaurs. <laughs> the ne'er-do-well brother has recently given away his sister's dog to an innkeeper that lives like three miles away. Um, Hobbit connection. The innkeeper <laughs> is the keeper of an uh, inn called the Green Dragon. <laughs> the ne'er-do-well brother visits an old spooky crypt at night like a crypt that's so spooky that people don't even visit it during the day and he's gone there for two nights in a row and has met a stranger there and wait a minute what's a crypt mm -hmm. do people go (laughs) i i believe a crypt is like an above like a mausoleum like an above ground grave is how i always why would people go there to commemorate the dead bro wait yeah why why are they like a shared space Often, yes. Yeah, very frequently. You'll get a family tomb, a family crypt, a family mausoleum. Um, So, for Mm -hmm. example, like when Romeo goes to visit Juliet, um, when she has killed herself, she is in the Capulet family tomb, family crypt, family mausoleum. And Tybalt's body, her cousin, spoiler alert, Romeo and Juliet, who has recently been slain, is laying there in the scene, right? Like his dead body is laying there. It's It's like a morgue, but forever. This is a situation, this is one of those stories where like, it works in the time when it was made, but if it if it was today, they would just do some DNA. There'd just be idiots asking questions about mausoleums. Um, and then finally, the the final spooky thing that has happened is they have recently found burnt human remains in the furnace at oh, this fancy oldest. That's really the only one you needed. <laughs> Right, should have led with that one. No, it, but that's not what he leads with. It's one of the last ones. And Sherlock Holmes' interest is sufficiently piqued. He comes in, he does his Sherlock Holmes stuff, and we get like a solution i guess a solution for this puzzle, yes <laughs> that's good that if there's one thing that sherlock brings after you know it just time and time again it's solutions okay well and this is why 
when I read the Sherlock Holmes book, this is really the only thing I have to say about this. When I read this, I, I super enjoyed it. I think it, I've struggled with mystery novels in the past as Ian and I were talking about on here, right? Like I don't super have a lot of patience for them. I don't think they're super interesting. I loved this mystery short story that I read. And I, I feel like, you know, Sherlock Holmes is, you know, 36 short stories and four novels. I feel like Sherlock Holmes is meant to be a short story. It is meant to be small. It is meant to be episodic. It's meant to be like, here's the premise. Here's the rising action. Here's the climax. Here's the conclusion. Yeah. When people complain about Sherlock Holmes, one of the things that they don't like is um, they don't like that Sherlock Holmes is not a whodunit. If you try to figure out a Sherlock Holmes mystery alongside with Sherlock Holmes, you will fail. Right, right. Like you will not be able to figure it out along with him because the whole thing about Sherlock Holmes is he is not like you. He is not a normal person. He's the person who has the internet in books in his in his library, like in his personal library, who's been pasting newspaper articles. So this is like one of the things that I really enjoy about this. Like I think to like Sherlock Holmes, you have to really be on board with the character of Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And when I read this at first, I felt like it was a little dry, like a little tricky to read. It felt modern enough, but not super engaging until I started imagining Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes. And then I was just totally on board. I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly how he is. Like he's like, is he on the cover of your book? He is not on the cover of my book, but he should be. I'm sure Barnes and Noble sells him, uh, sells a, you know, 2014 edition with Benedict Cumberbatch on it. So Litheads, go pick up a fresh copy of Benedict Cumberbatch's, I think honestly, maybe the best thing he's ever done. I thought he was going to like, I was going to be more into his career. Mm-hmm. And like pretty much when he got into Marvel, I was just kind of like done. Yeah, didn't care so much anymore. Sher- him as Sherlock Holmes is great. Yeah, it was great. So I... I don't really have a lot else to say. I thought Arthur Conan Doyle was a Arthur Conan Doyle was a super interesting guy with a pretty storied life. Um, I thought the Sherlock Holmes stuff was pretty interesting. It is certainly his lasting legacy, whether he wanted it to be or not. Oh, I'm sorry. Remember when Sherlock Holmes died? Uh, yeah, mid mid yeah, career. Yeah, ten years later, he needed a strong central character, and he brought him back to life. Um, the people were calling for more Sherlock Holmes. Sorry, did you say strong central uh, check? A strong, <laughs> a strong central bank account. Yeah, he was saying that he was writing the story, and he needed a central character, a strong character, and he didn't want to make up a new one, so he just went back and um. R- Brought Sherlock Holmes into it. It was actually the Hounds of Baskerville, Bakersville, Baskerville. That's wisdom the right there. The Baskervilles. The Hound of the Baskervilles. He came back and people lost their shit. People right. loved it. That magazine that they all used to unsubscribe from, it went up by 30,000 subscriptions overnight. Which and is this is like crazy. pre everything comes back, right? This is pre, oh, we're re- reboot central uh, well, capital and, of the world that we're living it's in fascinating currently. That- that Basker, the Hound of the Baskervilles is not a sequel. So he kills off Holmes no. yep. and Holmes like flips over a cliff and like, well, he's dead. Okay. Then Count of the Baskervilles comes out and it's not like, and he landed on a trampoline and he was fine. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's like, like sitcom rules. He's back. It's like, well, it's like, no, no, no. Baskervilles is like, this is earlier in his career. So it's not like, it's like, yeah, he's still dead, but I'll write you one more story about something that happened earlier in his career. Got it. It wasn't until later that, that they, that he did. The popular reception was so strong that he was like, okay, fuck it. You want more homes? Here's more. Welcome to Tiffany's Gentlemen, a safe place for you to tell me all the bad things about your books. Uh, Joe, would you like to start? Yeah, I'd be happy to start. Um, I think the thing that, it didn't really surprise me necessarily, but the thing that I thought was toughest about this is when I was reading this initially, I did think it was a little bit dry until I started imagining Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, a little dry until Benedict Cumberbatch. uh, Yep, a little dry until that juicy, juicy Cumberbatch. All right, for my Tiffany's, I'm going to take you to horror franchise friday the friday the 13th this is a franchise that went on way too long including one in 2002 (laughs) where jason gets cryogenically frozen for 450 years and becomes a cyborg okay this is known as the trope of the week jumping the shark that that just once please sorry that moment (laughs) 
Joe is going to morph into a caterwauling cat at some point in this process. Um, Joe, it's the you best jump thing the shark you do. When you're, you're s- <laughs> provider of provider of uh, sound effects. You jump the shark, a show or a, a series jumps the shark when it gets away from the stuff that kind of makes it classic and just kind of goes off on its own. And there are a lot of moments in the Holmes, um, the Holmes universe where the shark is jumped. This is certainly a jump the shark in terms of form. All right. All right. That's enough. That's of, enough. Uh, in terms of uh, weirdness. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Got it. Jumping shark. Your book is formulaic Weird. as fuck. Got it, guys. There's 50 no, of no, them. No, no, no. I'm Can saying it's I'm saying it's it's not. It's not. And that's what you didn't like about it? It's too weird. thing is that greatest weakness is, is that sometimes I'm just too perfect. Okay. Ian, you lose. I didn't like your answer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tiffany's is a minefield. <laughs> no, these things have Absolutely. nothing to do with the outcome of who's going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you definitely do lose, Ian. I would most, if I really had to pick, I would definitely want to pick the last one. And a return to form. Uh, assuming that Joe's not lying to us, I think sounds kind of enticing. I have read the first. I do have the the anthology, and I've read the first couple, and you you definitely, like, you peter out. You know, it's like, okay. Like, you you feel like you're kind of getting sold, you know, over and over the same product, and uh, you are. Uh, So I like the idea (laughs) of the it ending. So, Joe, you win. (laughs) They came out serially, though. It'll be like one, one every month. No, like one every month. So it, it would be more like when you binge a TV show, you've got it all in front of you, but these were not bingeable. You can binge them when they're in an anthology, but when they were published, they were kind of trickling. You didn't have time to peter out around the time you were ready for you kind of you were you weren't full anymore. You were sated. You were ready for more. That's when. Yeah. No, I There'd get another it. One. Totally different experience if you're if it's the 1800s, and also if it's the 1800s, this is like crack cocaine, right? This is like this the is the best, best thing, thing ever. happening in your life, yeah, oh, without absolutely. question. All right, litheads, um, we know that we're um, we're the Sherlock to your Holmes, the John to your Watson, and so we'd love it if you would show some show some love back to us by heading on over to our website and requesting a book, telling us what to read or a theme, possibly. This is um, not requested by one of you but nick is kind of a fan of the show i think so yeah nick is for sure nick requested this one um you can you can request a book that you want us to read you can um tell us to 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 do a theme you can also request to stick them while you're over there i have some stickums get some stickums love to mail you a stickum um you can you can uh review us on the podcast player of your choice we are occasionally on instagram but not really twitter anymore because that's spiraling and well we're uh, on tiktok now hey guys we're on tiktok no we're on tiktok we're on tiktok just in time for it to maybe be banned by the u.s government the best thing you can do letheads is um go dig a deep hole in your yard and whisper the name you don't know lit as well as descriptions of our physical acumen and then fill that hole with earth barring that you could tell a bookish friend about us but really the whole thing a big deep hole, at least five feet deep. Very and deep. Put some water in the bottom too. That would be be beneficial. Congratulations, Sherlock. Congratulations, Sherlock. Shoskum Old Place. And congratulations, horse people. Horse people. This one goes to you. All right, Nick, I'm just going to read you the beginning of my book up until the point where a lot of times you see Sherlock Holmes depicted as like kind of like a manic, crazy person in his modern depictions. And I always kind of thought that was a bit of a manic or a bit of a modern spin. Um, But that's very much how he's depicted in my book, interested by things that might be shocking or startling to others. So Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes had been bending for a long time over a low power microscope. Now he straightened himself up and looked around at me in triumph. It's glue, Watson, said he. Unquestionably, it's glue. Have a long look at these scattered objects in the field. I stooped to the eyepiece and focused for my vision. Those hairs are threads from a tweed coat. The irregular gray masses are dust. There are epithelial uh, scales on the left. Those brown blobs in the center are undoubtedly glue. Well, I said laughing, I'm prepared to take your word for it. Does anything depend on it? 
It's a very fine demonstration, he answered. In the St. Pancreas case, you may remember that the cap was found beside a dead policeman. The accused man denies that it is his, but here is a picture frame maker who habitually handles glue. Is it one of your cases? No. My friend Mervale of the Yard asked me to look into it. Since I ran down that coiner by the zinc and copper filings and the seam of the cuff, they've begun to realize the importance of the microscope. He looked impatiently at his watch. I had a new client calling, but he's overdue. By the way, Watson, do you know something of racing? I ought to. I pay for it with half my wound pension. Then I'll make you a handy guide to the turf. What about Sir Robert Norberton? Does the name recall anything? Well, I should say so. He lives at Showscombe Old Place, and I know it well, for my summer quarters were down there once. Norberton early came within your province once. How was that? It was when he horsewhipped Sam Bluer, the well-known Curzon Street moneylender on Newmarket Heath. He nearly killed the man. Ah, he sounds interesting, Sherlock said. <laughs>